we know that there's a lot of restrictions around cannabis and marketing and what you're able to do, where you're able to do it, who you can talk to. The big one I think is you can't just go, you can't just go pump Instagram ad. A lot of what you hear is that the cannabis industry is under bank. You're in our building, you're, you, you're looking at product. If you're a buyer coming there to visit us, uh, I can't walk into the conference room. We see a lot of celebrities getting into the space uh, from Jay-Z to Snoop. We see these celebrities saying like, oh, I started a brand. Are they really starting a brand? Are they being brought into brands that are already well-financed and established? Where is the, um, sort of the line drawn between the brand itself and the product? You wouldn't hear from me until next Monday if I ate a thousand milligram edible. It sounds, it sounds like what the entire country needed after the election day. Hello, and welcome to the 30-Minute CMO Podcast. I'm Gorsha Huchua, and I'm joined, as always, by my friend and partner, Alex McNamara. How are you today, Alex? I'm good. Thank you, Gorsha. I'm good. It's, it's, been a, it's been a tough week, but I'm very much looking forward to recording this episode. This is a really, a really good one. What is your conversation juice of choice today? Uh, today, we have uh, High West from Park City, Utah. It's a delicious bourbon and a very cool bottle as well. Um, so that's keeping, keeping my conversations going. How about you? Um, I'm actually drinking something from your neck of the woods, Westward. It's mm. uh, delicious. Um, well, amazing. So uh, a few episodes ago, we touched on the topic of cannabis marketing, uh, specifically around the news uh, of Jay-Z announcing his new brand, Monogram. Uh, we wanted to actually dive deeper into the topic, and we thought that it would be great to have someone who knows the industry firsthand join us and answer all the questions we have. And with that in mind, we're really excited to have Colin Landforce on the show with us. Uh, Colin is the COO of Letterman, a Portland, Oregon-based cannabis brand house that brings consumer, uh, consumer cannabis brands to retailers, both in Oregon and California. Colin, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, guys. I've got a lukewarm uh, pub beer here as my conversation juice. <laughs> it, it, it'll do the trick, I promise. Uh, Colin, <laughs> before we get into marketing-specific questions, we kind of just wanted to start broad and um, ask you to tell us a little bit more about Letterman, but also share with us, uh, you know, how you got into the business. You know, what was your entryway into it? Sure. Um, so for context, uh, my past life is all spent on, on marketing. Um, so operations and really just the day-to-day -day of the business is where uh, I spend most of my time, but I've, I've definitely got brand and marketing kind of at my core. Um, I've been doing weed for four years. Um, it kind of all begun um, when a handful of guys that I grew up with uh, started flipping packs, as they would eloquently refer to it. Um, and uh, the the whole premise was uh, we knew that if we built a network of friends that needed cannabis from us mm -hmm. that we could figure out uh, what kind of products we wanted to put into that network um so that that was four years ago like i said uh, fast forward to now uh, we did a merger acquisition with a, uh, a brand called corova which was or is the number five brand in the state of california very similar footprint um, and then, you know, fast forward from that a year and we've got uh, all three of our core brands are live and, and pumping in both states. Um, we've got almost the whole West Coast locked up and uh, we're just 
growing CPG brands, I think at the end of the day, um, weed happens to be the, the industry cannabis, I, I suppose. What, what were your motivations? Um, like specifically for you, was, was there an opportunity that you saw um, that got you like really interested? We obviously know cannabis is exploding and it's been a, on a high growth trajectory um, ever, since, uh, ever since it got legalized. Uh, was there anything that kind of gave you the insight that timing's right? You know, I think I was thinking about this the other day. Uh, I think cannabis is kind of a vehicle for uh, just my, my business energy and creativity. I'm not particularly married to uh, marijuana. I've, I've certainly smoked a lot of, of weed in my past, uh, especially in my younger days. Uh, I don't a whole lot right now. That being said, I've, I've spent, again, in my previous life, a lot of time in, in kind of regulated consumer goods markets. So cosmetics, uh, drones, guns, uh, these things that are either on the fringe or just have plenty of hoops to jump through. Um, mm -hmm. So that background definitely lends, lends a lot to it. There's uh, nothing is easy. Nothing is straightforward, I'd say, um, in the weed space, uh, whether it's, you know, something as simple as advertising uh, or, you know, taking product to a retailer. Um, yeah. yeah. Spe speaking of, of hoops to jump through, we know that there's a lot of restrictions around cannabis and marketing and what you're able to do, where you're able to do it, who you can talk to. Um, it's like, you know, it's not a federally legal product, which means you can't advertise in the likes of Google and Facebook, um, like the alcohol brands can. It's like, where do you find um, sort of, the, so maybe you can kind of talk us through what the restrictions are and sort of where you're able to find the, the loopholes, I guess, in terms of, of advertising. Yeah. So one of the uh, most fun parts of all of this is obviously each state uh, has its own regulations on all these things. So uh, similar but different is uh, the, the most interesting part of all of this, right? Um, so you've got things like uh, advertising messaging that encourages binge consumption uh, is generally out the window. So that's something as simple as a buy one, get one, right? Like mm -hmm. eh, um, that kind of thing. Uh, then like you said, Alex, uh, you can't use traditional uh, traditional digital platforms. If you want to do something like an old school direct mailer, uh, there's, <clears throat> there's no like approval process, but there's, um, you know, in the laws, uh, I have to know that the, uh, you know, let's say the neighborhood that I'm sending that campaign to is X percent above 21 or not below 21, that, that kind of thing. There's a lot of uh, logistical little details um, like that on kind of like, you know, what would be the go-to, like, let's, let's run some ads, let's do a campaign, um, that kind of thing. Can, and, I ask a, can I ask a quick question on the mailers? Very curious. Um, you said that that's something that you are able to do provided that you have the data on the neighborhood that suggests that it's over 21. Yeah. I love direct mail, but uh, yeah, that that's an example. Let's say like a billboard, right? Yeah. Uh, I would have issues if I did a billboard right outside of a high school, mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, I think there's also, there's like neighborhood demographic data around that, but, but that kind of thing. And a lot of those, there's not uh, you know, approval processes for these things, but there, there is laws about them. They vary market to market. And uh, it, it's that kind of thing. Like it's binge, binge consumption, uh, similar stuff to alcohol and the age element. Um, but the big one I think is you can't just go, you can't just go pump Instagram ads or, or what have you, which brings you into this whole new realm of like, 
you know, influencers are like pretty much the only paid option um, uh, on, on social and whatnot. And uh, that, or you've got brands like old pal um, they do, they do a lot. They do a big push around their merch. So like old pal t-shirts and hoodies and these kind of things, like they do ad campaigns. Uh, they really have made that like a brand um, that also happens to have, you know, uh, cannabis products by the same name. There's, there's a lot of those types of angles. I'm, um, I'm very curious, just one more, one more question on this front, um, as far as restrictions go. So to the uneducated or the uninitiated, uh, a lot of what you hear is that the cannabis industry is underbanked uh, because uh, banks are regulated at a federal level. And so they're reluctant to work with, um, with some or all parts of that industry. Do you find um, this to be a challenge when it comes to online payment processing or anything that you might, um, a regular brand might not even think about? Yeah, uh, I'm blacklisted at US Bank and Bank of America, personally. Um, <laughs> you- <laughs> uh, I, think, I think if you it's took- It's like with the Wild uh, West. <laughs> y- yes, uh, if you took- you know, I have like my direct experience with Oregon, like leading up to um, us getting bigger. I, I would imagine if you took mine combined with uh, the the early Corova days before that, I mean, it's probably 15 or 20 bank accounts, you know, in a matter of, of years. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, like I said, nothing is straightforward. Nothing is easy, including like uh, running payroll. Um, but I mean, there, there even, are options now. It, it just- I mean, even- even having like the product in your in your warehouse, there's 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 regulations around what kind of containers it can be stored in, um, people coming in and out. So it's not even you know, even the office is is regulated to a to a high degree as well, right? Yeah, you basically have uh, licensed premises, right? So um, if uh, you could have a a sales office attached to your warehouse, it doesn't have to be licensed. Um, if you're in the licensed premise. Uh, premises yes you have to you have to sign in uh, all product has to be in a a what is considered a vault uh, overnight uh, uh, they refer to those as limited access areas so we have stuff like our conference room is not a limited or is is a limited access area um, is not licensed premises so you're in our building you're you you're looking at product if you're a buyer coming there to visit us uh, I can't walk into the conference room mm-hmm. um, if we went through the process of adding a camera, getting that camera approved, da, 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 da. okay, now you can go to the conference room. But that's that thing I like that kind of thing I just mentioned will take eight or nine months. And you know, so there's something like that. It's like, yeah, we'll just do without the conference room for now. You <laughs> thought getting a your conference room with IT setup was uh, was a hassle. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, so you mentioned uh, celebrities. I think we mentioned celebrities earlier. So we see a lot of celebrities getting into the space, uh, from Jay Z to Snoop, you know, to Dan Bilzerian, uh, Martha. The list goes on. Um, <clears throat> what is your thought on the celebrity angle? Do you think that um, you know we we see we see these celebrities saying like, oh, I started a brand. Are they really starting a brand? Are they being brought into brands that are already? well-financed and established, like what de, I guess, demystify this yeah. whole thing for us. Yeah. Uh, I mean, this may not be a blanket statement, but generally, uh, no, you know, you've got generally like these large public companies, um, who want to launch a brand and attach Jay-Z to it or, uh, uh, attach Drake to it or, or whatever, 
whatever it may be. And that's generally the, you know, Jay-Z is not, you know, in there doing R&D on his new uh, vape hardware or, or whatever it may be. Um, I think it's just uh, uh, one one way to throw gas on the fire. I think the um, the effectiveness of it, like I think, varies by market. Uh, Oregon doesn't have haven't have much time for it. Um, I think a lot of that that says a lot about the Oregon market, though. Um, you know, brand is is secondary in a lot of ways here because there's so much. The whole ethos of Oregon is very like micro brew, crafty, like organic farm like who cares about the you know the rock star that uh, co-signed it um it works much better and and like in california uh and i think at the end of the day uh those types of things you know depending on the level of support and involvement that that person's giving um i think that it serves to throw gas on the fire like mm-hmm. a brand establishing itself and then becoming a staple uh, I mean, we can get more into this is really in the hands of the bud tenders and the people at the point of sale, especially in such a, a young industry um, that, you know, maybe, maybe Jay-Z starts the conversation, but like that, that's, you know, that's good for a sale or two. Um, it's, it's everything else that, that brands do and that we do that is what will actually like make a brand a staple. Um, I think, I think a lot of that, I don't know the actual data on it, but um, if you think about where the industry is, um, again, I don't know the actual data, but you've got to think that half of the people that walk into a weed store are a blank slate. Mm-hmm. You know, even yep. there, there's so many new people every day, but then also people that go there often are like, I want a sativa. Like they, they don't know what what they want. Right. So with that number of consumers being a total blank slate, that the ball is in the bud tenders court and and the bud tenders are the biggest influencers in the industry. Uh, and, uh, uh, a brand success really, really hinges on, on, on them. And, and what we've found is a lot of time that comes down, it just comes down to education. People want to talk about what they know about, um, and then just supporting them and, and making them like you and making sure they're, they're fitted in merch and, and those kind of basics. It's like those, those building blocks are, um, are what matters right now, much more than celebrity endorsement and, and, uh, and, and these kind of things. Yeah. Can I ask a question, um, real quick? I just, I have, um, I have like an analogy in my head of the time, uh, maybe like in the mid to late two thousands when it was the pre-craft tequila time, but it was sort of like the first wave with, you know, it wasn't just Jose Cuervo. Um, it was already, uh, the world of Patron. Right. And I remember sort of not knowing any other premium brand other than Patron because they advertised heavily because they have the distinct bottle because they did sort of like they were they, and they had first mover advantage. Um, I think this probably happens with a lot of different products. Not that's just an example that sticks in my head, but I remember that my byword for a premium tequila at a bar was Patron, even though I did not really know the difference. If I wanted to right. impress, if I wanted to feel like I wanted to spend a lot of money, yeah, that's right. what I ordered. Do you feel like this is where uh, weed is now? It's um, you know, you know, I'm not a consumer, but I follow Dan Bilzerian. Like I know Ignite just because it's all over my Instagram feed, and he reaches 160 million people with his uh, with his um, uh, posts. Like, are we have we skipped this whole thing of like mainstream, and are we like right into craft, or are we building up to the mainstream still? Uh, I think that's a a nuanced kind of question i think uh first of all 
there are a lot of brands attacking that mainstream, right? Like the let's get the soccer moms are smoking weed. We need the soccer moms, right? Absolutely. I think that far and away the people that buy weed are people that smoke weed that that are potheads, right? Like we, we see that time and time again. And uh, I think they're generally an underserved group in all of this mm-hmm. um, because, because every marketer wants to step in and go, oh, this is for, no, this isn't for the weed folks. It's for X. And uh, at the end of the day, the uh, most of the people that walk into a shop aren't trying to hide anything about it, um, aren't, aren't afraid to, um, to have somebody know what, what they're buying. So I can't remember where we started here. But uh, <laughs> kind of lost my train of thought. We were talking about, you know, like uh, sort of the main, the mainstream. So you're saying basically yeah, the, core, okay. the, the, the core audience is the pothead. Yeah. I mean, so. And it's expanding from there. Yeah. Like if, if you look at the biggest brands in weed, uh, Kiva, Cookies, but we, we'll throw Corova in there. I mean, Cookies is a weed brand. It's not like it. Cookies is far and away a weed brand for weed folks. Um, uh, you know, Kiva probably expands much wider than that. Uh, it's, uh, it's edibles, right. Which, which definitely opens it up to totally different, different demographics, but the, the most, you know, the most powerful brands like cookies puts a line around the block, uh, you know, every time they do a drop at, you know, 10 stores, 15 stores, whatever it is up and down the West coast, the, the powerful brands are, uh, are not the mainstream, um, you know, uh, and like super consumer friendly brands are the weed brands. Uh, and I think a lot of that revolves around the fact that like everybody smokes weed, uh, and we, like the soccer moms don't have to come around, uh, to have a huge impact and, and like to see that and to create, you know, billion dollar markets in, in States. But, um, so you know, we were just talking about sort of the different the brands you just mentioned. Um, I guess there's like a, a, a two-part question. Um, one, like Dosist is a brand that is being sort of engineered to appeal to the the sort of the, the newer consumer, the ones who aren't potheads. Um, and they have very specific elements that they need to do. Do you think brands like dosist or brands there's an ability to build brands within the cannabis industry or the cannabis market to appeal to certain different things that will succeed sort of longer term yeah i mean uh a thousand percent um dosis is a cool concept i I saw that at uh mj bizcon a few years ago and i'm not i haven't seen their products recently um, but i assume they've mostly just refined uh, the entire concept i think that like especially the backbone of that is kind of this control and uh consistency like being able to take the draw that that gets me this much that has this effect um and those are the things that that does open it up um and god knows there's that consumer and and you know our brands outside of corova uh alex i'm, I'm sure you've seen like lean that way like they're not mm-hmm. weedy brands they're yeah, uh, you know, sticks is really like I said it again today. Sticks is a Bud Light, um, but I think that uh, um, that you know we're booze has been doing this for what 100 and, 110 years, something right. like that, right? People get weed like we couldn't we could not be more in the first inning, and so I think that generally the super refined 
consumer brands uh, that are that are for you know uh, the normal person are like there's more moonshine than that in in terms of the marketplace right now, and I think that the brands skew heavy um, that direction, which there's room for all of it, but. I think we, I think potheads are underserved in, in, in pot. If that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Where, where is the, where is the difference? I mean, where is the, um, sort of the line drawn between the brand itself and the product? Cause you were talking about the bud tenders really influence where, so like what kind of product you're going to buy. Let's say, you know, if you're first timer in a, in a med men, for example, and you're just trying to figure out you know, from the beginning, and there are, it's in, in a way, it's similar to, to wine where you're looking for a specific grape or flavor profile or something. And then there's a brand that comes with it. So like, how do you, how do you manage those two factors of like brand versus the, the product itself? Yeah, I think there's, there's kind of a, a lot of interesting pieces um, of that here. First of all, like the the booze comparisons uh, hold up really well um, in a lot of ways. There's also, you know, something worth mentioning is uh, if you're shopping for wine, like you don't have the option of buying the grape. Right. Um, yeah. And in weed uh, it's, it's exactly that. So if you think of, uh, of like uh, of a full spectrum oil as being like what the wine is, right. You can, the biggest category in weed is still the raw grape or the, yeah, the, the cured grape or, or whatever it may be. And that creates a totally different dynamic just in terms of like the choices and, and, and the types of consumer. Uh, and, and it kind of comes back to that moonshine thing. It's like you grab the microbrew or you can get this stuff that, you know, came out of a, a whatchamacallit uh, in, you know, in, in, in Humboldt or in Southern Oregon or, or uh, whatever it may be. And, and I think that that creates a really... Uh, kind of bizarre, bizarre dichotomy that that kind of shuts down the parallels between booze and tobacco, and um, and that's so. kind of like getting the 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 flower compared to buying the pre roll compared to buying an edible or a you know or a vape. Sure, it's like uh, so if hops are the commodity on beer, right, and then you take it all the way down to uh, the IPA, which I guess there's really mm -hmm. one pass there, but in in cannabis. Uh, the the commodity is packaged as a consumer good, just like um, all kinds of forms, all kinds of all kinds of other forms. Um, and you've got you know kind of the full spectrum category of that, where it's concentrates or extracts um, that that leave all the good stuff in them. Um, and then you've also got uh, uh, distillate based edibles, which is like pull the THC juice out, put it into a candy that tastes good or a chocolate that tastes good. And those are just like so starkly, um, starkly different. So I want to, I want to circle back to the audiences you have the, so, you know, the way you basically describe it is that there is the big underserved audience of potheads, the core audience, let's, let's say, right. And there's probably a lot of room to differentiate a brand within there still, I assume you tell me, um, I'm curious, you know, what channels have you been able to to use to find new customers, like both within maybe like within that core for your brand, but also like net new customers uh, who maybe are trying for the first time? Like what are the channels you're seeing the most success with? Yeah, I mean, so we're, we're active on social. The channel is the bud tenders, right? Like 
period. Um, yeah. And it's, it's not more sexy than that. You know, if, if, if you conflate it to walking into a bar and asking the bartender what he's got on tap, it's like, it's that interaction, but it's like, you know, again, for a lot of consumers, it's that interaction every single time. Um, and every single time you're going to get some version of what the, what the bartender thinks is, is good, you know? So, uh, that is, that is the channel. Uh, you know, that being said, you know, we, uh, we've done some influencer stuff. Uh, we had Wiz Khalifa at a Halloween party, eating a Corova cookie a week or two ago. Um, we're active on social and, and, and kind of check all the boxes. There's a lot to do there, but, um, for us, so much of the focus is B2B um, mm -hmm. uh, and, and let the, let the bud tenders um, uh, win over the consumers at the point of sale. That's the, that's the whole game. Has that been a challenge during COVID? I assume like a bunch of them had to probably uh, at least still a reduced footfall, if nothing yeah, else. Right. Totally. I mean, there's a whole, uh, you know, luckily for, for us, uh, you know, weed is essential. So um <laughs> Very. Yes, it's, it's definitely changed some you know i think at this point you know now we've gotten to a point where everybody's changed how they operate they've put things in place and then it's not business as usual but it's it's a, a version of that um uh, right when it was happening uh yeah you had you know uh, retailers that they go to like walk up window only and that kind of thing and so now that that just some becomes so transactional um that uh it it definitely uh kills that but then it also creates opportunities it's like if this is transactional and you're printing a paper menu that you hand to this person it's like okay like what what can we do on the menu you know right. uh, you got a, you got a, li a text list of things like what can what can we do there and um we've actually we have uh, a couple of retail stores in uh, in santa Ana, and we just launched drive through in one of them Mm -hmm. um, which is, which is starting to pick up steam, but we've modeled it like a drive-through, you know, you pull in, you've got big screens, um, uh, that, that, uh, have the brands and it's kind of a, a, a hybrid between a list and with graphics and brand and all this stuff. And, uh, um, you tell somebody what you want, you pull forward and it comes out. Um, uh, but it's definitely, I think it forces all of our, uh, interactions as consumers to be more transactional. Um, certainly anything that was previously touchy feely, you know, in, in Oregon, uh, flour is generally done. We call it deli style. So this is, you go into a shop and there's walls of, there's a wall of, of jars of different strains. And you say, I want that one. And they pull the nugs out like, like, a, a deli style or like buying bulk M&Ms at the grocery store. Um, and, uh, I can't think of a crazier way to buy something like in this, in this day and age, you know, it's like when you've got uh, every bud tender in the store has like stuck their hand in that jar, that kind of thing uh, that we're, we're big proponents in Oregon of, of pushing into package flour. And uh, that's certainly helped the sales pitch. How do you, um, so the bud tenders are clearly very important for you guys, both from a, I guess, from a retention play but also from a, a new user, um, how do you sort of work with them to, I guess, get, do you, do you work with them to get a competitive advantage over the other brands that you've got? Like, do you do trainings for them? Do you send them, like, how do you get them on your side? Um, or is it much more like you need to be a good 
brand and a good product for them to like you? And is it more sort of a, um, their personal preference? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think those are, those are the table stakes, right. And then past that it's, uh, education and appreciation. So, um, you know, we, we do, uh, in-person trainings, uh, you know, online trainings again, like people like talking about what they, what they know. And so, um, you know, if you can, if you can put them on game on your product, uh, they're, they're, they're going to want to talk about it when they're given an opportunity. Um, and then, and then appreciation, which this has changed for us, for us significantly, but, uh, you know, pre global pandemic, uh, we had a suite at the Moda center. We had a suite at the Staples center and, you know, that's uh, two or three times a week where we've got, you know, 15 bud tenders at every blazer game, every Justin Bieber concert, uh, every Metallica concert, every, every Lakers game, every, uh, LA Kings game, blah, 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 blah. Right. Um, and that's the, uh, appreciation piece, which, you know, uh, could probably be conflated to bribing, but, um, it really like <laughs> it, it, you know, it's corporate hospitality. I think. Yeah. Right. That's exactly what it is. You know, the, uh, uh, yeah, exactly. The, the blaze blazers. What a good, what a good adjacency. Hey, yeah. Right. I think Gorsh would be appreciative of the uh, the LA Kings uh, box as well. Ah, yeah. The Staples, when the Blues come to town. The Staples Center has so many events. Well, they used to, I guess. And, uh, yeah. Hopefully they will again. Yes, right. Um, so I think there's one more we got on this, just on this topic before we shift, but um, retail location. Um how how much of a role does the retail location play into your sales? Um, and then how do the uh, mobile app ordering services also play into that? Is there a, do you see a difference in sales between the two? Does the retail location play a role in, um, in how well your product does? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, now that as of about a year ago in California went like fully wreck, right? And so we're, we're at this point really up and down the West coast and with the election recently, you know, more and more so everywhere uh, where there's weed stores everywhere. Um, You know, I think the, in Oregon, the rules are uh, have to be more than a thousand feet from a school and each other. Um, Which means that like, and and then the uh, each other piece is like a uh, municipality thing. So like there are, um, there are cities in Oregon where they don't have that rule and it's like, they'll be across the street from each other. Right. Which I think that most, most consumers, uh, retail loyalty is probably revolves around location and, and convenience. Um, I was talking about this with, the with the owner of, of a couple of stores here today. And, uh, you know, his whole thing is, is really like the commute, you know, like, like, uh, being on somebody's way home or within a couple minutes drive when they are home like that's that's kind of the 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 basis for the um the retail business um for for the same reasons as as previous like this is a you know there isn't uh truckloads of brand affinity like you're not going to drive across town to the beer store that has 117 beers um you know you're like you're going to 7-eleven and uh grabbing, grabbing what's on the shelf. A lot of the time there's that, there are those consumers, but I think, um, uh, location. And then of course, you know, uh, somebody at some point pointed out to me, uh, you know, Oregon is like the most competitive cannabis market in the world, um, because they did open licensing at the beginning. 
and it just got like brutally competitive. Um, and so very quickly, I think we're about to see, see it happen in California as well, because California is um, uh, more or less wide open with more uh, localized restrictions. Um, is like prices, it just becomes a huge piece of the, um, of the, the conversation and the buying decisions. Um, because like, th this is all stuff that like, I grew up paying 50 bucks for an eighth, right? And we're actually talking to a retailer right now uh, on a, on a co-packing deal um, who's, who's doing $5 eights. Wow. Wow. Right? It's not weed that you would want to smoke. Um, right? <laughs> but, uh, <clears throat> but that's the, like to the consumer. Um, uh, there's a pretty, pretty big Delta there. Um, so I think that as markets mature, especially any of these markets that are open, um, license wise, um, price just becomes a, a bigger, bigger part of the, the conversation. But I think ultimately that's a good thing because, um, uh, it, it, it makes things more accessible. And I think a lot of, you know, buying a medicated, uh, chocolate bar for $32 is like not necessarily good for the growth of the market. Uh, at eight bucks, it's like, yeah, okay. Like this, you know, this is like new people are going to try this, you know, people are going to buy one for their friend, that kind of thing. So I think it's ultimately healthy, but, uh, prices is, is, and will continue to be a, a huge piece of it. Um, so kind of moving into the more like the, the brand growth, um, we, we, we touched on this earlier, um, around lifestyle and clothing lines. So um, do you think that that's a viable way to <laughs> increase and sort of um, create a new revenue stream? That's um, that's, you know, you think you mentioned it in one of your, sort of one of your competitors, is that a way that you've looked into um, sort of diversifying your revenue streams? Um, we do. <clears throat> We take merch pretty seriously, uh, uh, probably more as the garments themselves than the revenue stream, I think. Uh, I think that at the end of the day, if you want to make it more than you know a marketing expense, um, uh, it, it needs a lot of attention that maybe, I think for a lot of businesses, I know certainly for ours could be spent, um, spent in better ways, you know? Uh, because yeah. because in order to do that, I mean, we're, you're talking about a full blown brand, you know, like like the ad campaigns and the the packaging and, and all of this. So I think uh, um, it, that being said, you know, you want to run paid uh, to build an email list. And and uh, I, th I think that is the other angle where it's just it's a means to an email list. Um, yeah. And, and, and those types of things, which there's something to be said for that. But. Um, so you, you can yeah. run paid advertising around your clothing, like hats, t-shirts, jumpers, and, yeah. and that's not a problem, even though technically it's, it's the, it's a cannabis brand running advertising. Yeah. I think there's, uh, there's certainly, uh, will you have an ad, uh, you know, shut down here and there? Sure. Maybe, but like you can, you can get away with it at a decent scale. I would, I would, I would yeah. say, um, and you can, and then yeah. you'd use that to say, you know, this person has bought our, our clothing. We have to assume that they're either very fashion conscious and love our, love our fashion or that they're in, into the brand and into you know, the cannabis industry sort of in general, and then load that into your CRM system and then start doing um, 
you can't email. do retargeting campaigns, but you can right. do email campaigns and get yeah, them. Yeah, exactly. Or text or um, all the above. I also, you know, uh, I have a, a side project that's a CBD thing, right? And it's CBD is similar, but different in that um, you can't advertise. So when we, when I started working on that, you couldn't do any ads just like weed. Um, at some point in the middle of it, they opened it up so that you could do ads for your brand that were not advertising the product. So kind of like uh, in a similar vein, but almost more directly acknowledging the whole thing. Um, yeah. But you saw like uh, Charlotte's Web. I, I, I remember seeing this ad that was just like literally this like abstract art that was like, Link, link to a post of that on the Charlotte's website. And it's like, but now that I'm here, it's like, oh, there's CBD things. Uh, yeah. I don't know. It's a lot of, a lot of rigmarole for, you know, uh, not being able to advertise something that everybody, like, it's not a secret anymore. Right. Yeah. Um, how have you um, sort of evolved? Uh, and we, we did touch on this before, but how have you evolved sort of as the industry has grown um, to capture that more mainstream audience and um, how do you you know once you've got that first acquisition or first um, I'm not sure what your KPI is there but your first uh, purchase from someone how do you get them to come back in um, again yeah. to your brand specific I mean so a couple of things we've always harped on with our products um, uh, because it's generally lacking in the space is, is uh, consistency. Um, and I think I've, we've seen more and more brands latch onto that, which is probably a sign that we're generally onto something. But I think that the, the biggest barrier to um, uh, all this being like truly mainstream is the fact that you still have consumers that go in, they, they buy a thing, they take it, they have an experience and then they go to do it again next time. And it's totally different. Right. And so um, <clears throat> that consistency, I, I think, will be the, uh, um, I don't know, the gatekeeper to, to this truly becoming uh, yeah. mainstream. And then for us, like, that's, that's our game, right? So um, when we, <clears throat> in the early days, when we uh, built a network of retailers just selling flour, um, the first place we started um, uh, when we wanted to go make a, a product and, and start a brand was with the pre-roll because um, so many shops are just like making, making the pre-rolls that they sell out of the crumbs that they've got in the back, which means you go buy a joint and it's generally a coin toss of if it'll, it'll stay lit, if it'll burn evenly, all this <laughs> stuff, right? It's a total crapshoot. And so the first thing we did is like, we just got to make a, a pre-roll that just like is great every time. Right. And, and that was, <clears throat> that was our first foray. Um, and, and the, like in retrospect on that, like the ethos of that is just, just consistency is just being the same. Um, and so we've, that's something we've taken uh, through all of our product lines uh, and all the brands, I think to a point where it's like, it can't be a talking point anymore because it's so persistent. Um, but it's like, you know, there's, there's such a wide array. You go buy a gummy in a store, you'll get these gummies that look like fruit leathers with like inconsistent coverings and maybe somebody made this in their kitchen and then you've got ones that look like they were made in a factory and could be on the you know on the shelves at, at, at Safeway and um there's certainly plenty of people that don't like the latter aesthetically right 
uh, especially in Oregon, they want that craft, uh, yada, yada, yada. But the, the latter is definitely checks the consistent box. And, uh, like, like I said, we, you want, we want to have something where, um, uh, I can buy it in Portland. I can buy it in LA. I can buy it in Oakland. I can buy it at the beach. I can buy it in the mountain. Um, and it's just going to be, you know, the same, whether it's a good smoke or the same high from an edible or, or whatever it is. Um, do you try yeah. to create like associations with certain like I don't know like life moments with between your brands? You know, I, I I think about beer because we keep coming back to it as one of the analogies that we use for this. And you know, you have mass mass market beers, and they all try to carve out a bit of a an association. Like Corona is for like vacation and relaxing and the beach. Um, you know, like Mick Michelob tries to go for like the more active lifestyle. Um, you know, the Bud scores and others of the world try to go for like sports like do you guys like are there associations because you mentioned consistency so if like if there's a consistency that's been established for your brand is there an association that you want to have um for the consumer yeah so i mean just elevator pitch on each of our brands so uh sticks is really sticks is our bud light uh and it's an accessibility thing right like Sticks is, uh, you know, some joints you throw in a backpack on a trip. And uh, if it falls out and you lose it, you're probably not going to lose much sleep over it. Right. Um, uh, Cabana is, uh, Cabana is our premium brand. Uh, it's, it's more uh, feminine leaning um, and, and uh, high end for, for the shelf that it's on. Um, and then Corova is, is, uh, is for the weed folks. Um, uh, Corova's tagline, I think my, uh, is unrivaled, uh, which, which comes from unrivaled potency and, and Crove really got its name for a thousand milligram edible, um, which, uh, I don't know. I don't think either of you guys consume a whole lot, but like you wouldn't hear from me until next Monday if I ate a thousand <laughs> milligram edible. Uh, I I'm a, I'm a lightweight, but, uh, um, it's, it's not legal anymore. Let's, let's put it. Um, uh, yeah, that's, that seems like a lot. It sounds, uh, it sounds like what the entire country needed after the election day. Yes. Yes. Exa yeah. Exactly. I, I, uh, I don't eat edibles much and I'm a total lightweight when I do, but I mean, if I, so in Oregon, the uh, official dose is five milligrams in California, it's 10. <clears throat> um, uh, I think somebody who's, who doesn't eat a lot of weed, uh, either of those like 10 milligrams is going to put you in an uncomfortable place. Uh, certainly, certainly for me. Um, so you take that times 100, <laughs> um, yeah, it's a horse strength. It's a horse tranquilizer. It's so in the, in the future, far, far away when you yeah. wake up. Yes. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's where you wake up. Yeah. yeah uh, next, next week. So, so listen, uh, Colin, so the, the industry, I mean, it's, it's, it's fascinating to hear your account, right? Like it, there's so much nuance to everything that you're saying and the industry is so young, still like the official industry, even though like it existed before it became, um, you know, legalized at the state level. Where do you, where do you see it heading? Um, what's, what's the projection for the next, like, let's just put a mile marker five years. Yeah. Um, I think it'll be, I think five years gets into, um, interstate territory, hopefully, mm -hmm. you know, the, I think, uh, the barriers to it becoming, um, really normal, um, are, uh, uh, consistency and those types of things and it doesn't make it any easier that every single state is modularly 
um, making up and then regulating their own rules and, uh, and all these things. Like if you look at somebody like us, like we can't have, we have everything that we do, we have to duplicate in every market, right? Um, or uh, if, if we're not gonna go set up one of our factories, we have a partner set up their factory. It's still like yet another place um, uh, replicating that, that those processes and, and making those things. And, and when, uh, uh, not to mention another, the, the old similar, but different, like all of our brands look very similar, yeah. but, but not quite though. Right. Uh, you know, they're, uh, they're, I guess probably to the layman, they, they're the same, but, um, but they're not. And all of these things just don't lend themselves to, I'm a, I'm a relatively normal person. I go on a vacation across the country. I walk into a store. I buy something I'm familiar with. I walk, I walk out, I consume it. It's the same thing I was used to, that kind of thing. Like all, all of this makes that, that much harder. And I think that that experience or, or that type of dynamic is, is the ball game in terms of like, it, you know, uh, we being on the same plane as, as booze. Um, um, what what kind of um, differences are there? Is it like differences in product and milligrams or is it differences in the more backend things that you have to deal with? Yeah, I mean, you, you've got, sure, like, so the the serving size and the potency stuff. So California, it's five and 50 per package. And uh, sorry, Oregon, it's five and 50. California, it's 10 and 100. <clears throat> um, you've got stuff like that. You've got, you know, in California, you have to have a brake seal on every package. Um, uh, the way that the testing works is different in California. Um, uh, and then just purely the fact of like, we can't make something here and ship it to California. Right. Yeah. And so when interstate commerce is opened up, especially as, uh, the, the big software provider, um, uh, is a company called Franwell. They made the software is called metric. Right. And these people have got the Oregon contract, the California contract, the Colorado contract, and they've gotten several of the new recreational States. So we're running the same software, right? Like, uh, at, at some point here in the future, when regulation says we can, uh, you know, for the, the seed to sale tracking is like just a matter of like connecting some databases. Right. Mm -hmm. And then we can transfer across. And I think that, um, you know, something I didn't mention there is the fact that like, um, Michigan's not very good for growing weed outside Southern Oregon and Northern California. Great for growing weed outside. Right. It, it is a waste of resources among other things for a market like Michigan to have to make its own weed. You know, right. like it, yeah. it's going to, you're going to fill warehouses. You're going to have, you're going to have all these warehouses with $30,000 a month power bills, just because we couldn't put some on a semi and ship it out there from, from, you know, regions, uh, regions that are perfect for it. Right. Like, I mean, it's like wine in that regard. Yeah. Is, um, it kind of gets back to that consistency again. Yeah. Is, yeah. is, is, is Canada there? We always hear that Canada is kind of a lot more, I guess, liberalized in that regard. Right. It is, it's, it's federally legal in Canada. Uh, yes. I'm not super, I'm not super in touch with the like details of the, the regulation in Canada, but yes, it is. Um, it is. So it sounds like basically the big tipping point for the industry will be the deregulation at the federal level or the legalization at the federal le level and re regulation of weed at the federal le level, the way that it's being done with alcohol so that you can start getting more into the nuances of um, the region, the type, 
and less about what California deems to be the uh, legal amount versus Oregon versus, versus Michigan. Like that's going to allow you guys to shed a whole bunch of the extra overhead essentially that you have to deal with and really focus on, on providing a differentiated quality. Yeah, I, I think absolutely. And I think a big part of that comes back to where this conversation started with, with the brands, right? Because yeah. so many of the big, uh, the big operators in cannabis um, are piecing together uh, entities and brands in different states, right? Which um, on the spreadsheets, it all ladders up to one company. But the consumer experience is, you know, in this area, it's this brand and over here, it's this brand. And a lot of that is just, just, uh, it's not made easier by the fact that it literally, you have to just go and do it again, if you wanted to, to bring that. And I think something that we work really hard on and, and a focus of ours is creating that consistency across state lines, because there are not, of all the big players in cannabis, there, there are not that many examples of of consistent um, uh, national brands, uh, you know, Select is one of those, um, primarily on on their CBD stuff. Um, but there, there's just not that many people that are doing uh, that, and that type of thing is just going to hold back the you know the consumer market and and really the the maturation of it. Colin. That's um, that's a lot of information, I think, that for for folks to uh, to process and digest. But I think um, for us, it's been an amazing window into the challenges on the one hand, and then the opportunities that you have as a nascent industry in the other to to get an inside glimpse on. So from our side, a huge thank you for um, going to the details, uh, lifting the curtain sharing some of these things and um, taking us on this journey. I think it's been a fascinating conversation and uh, a lot for us to learn from because this is truly an industry that, like you said, in the first inning, and it's got a whole lot of potential and a whole lot of other things to uh, to achieve um, in, the, in the next decades. Thanks a ton for having me. I'm uh, always, always free to talk shop. Appreciate it. Thank you.